Let's talk about plan B. Now, most of the time when I record a podcast, I have some sort of outline that just keeps me on track, keeps me going in the right direction. Tonight, I am going to go without the outline. Essentially, I have no plan B. So we're going to see how this goes, see how we can put this together, and uh, hopefully I don't have to do too many edits or splicing out a lot of things. I, I guess we'll see, won't we? So welcome to another Expedition Unlikely episode. My name is Joshua Rohde, and I am a father of five who loves taking his kids outside and going on some adventures, and I want to help inspire you to do the same, and I also want to share with you some of what might happen to you and prepare you for that experience so that you have a good experience and uh, possibly a story to tell just like the one I'm about to share with you right now about uh, a plan B where things might not go as expected. And if you've done your homework, you'll have something to fall back on. And if not, you might end up like this. So as I said, I don't have an outline or a script for this episode. I am winging it. And part of that is because this specific story I'm about to share with you, I have I've told countless times. And that's because it is just so it's so much fun to share because it's it's where things didn't go right. And I find that's where a lot of my stories come from or it is when things didn't go as planned. I didn't have uh, the solution for everything, and we were winging it, right? That's when the adventure started was when things started to come unglued. And this is a prime example of that. So my kids were about 7, 8, and 10. And I had decided that we were going to go to the Boundary Waters for the first time. This was our first trip. Now, I've already told you about another trip uh, after I had been uh, remarried and blended our family. This was several years before that, when before we had blended our family and it was uh, just my three children and myself. So just the four of us decided to go to the Boundary Waters. But... I thought that I had thought through things pretty well. I had accounted for a lot of things. So, uh, for example, to go into the Boundary Waters, if you go into the Boundary Waters, you get a permit, you go in, and you can canoe only. There's no the, there's a couple of hiking trails that skirt the Boundary Waters, but there's no roads. There's no motorboats. You go in uh on a canoe and you can go from lake to lake to lake there are some trails that go between lakes where they don't actually connect um so that's that's called a portage so you portage to the next lake and all of the campsites are on a lake now they are designated campsites and they're designated they have a fire ring a fire pit and they also have a latrine and so they have these designated campsites to try and keep people camping and keep the wilderness as pristine as possible. And that's why they designate them and you have to stay at these designated campsites. Now, this was our first time in and 
I didn't feel fully confident in my abilities, my skill to be able to do all of the things that I needed to do in that scenario. With my, with my three young children and just myself, that seemed awfully daunting. So my skill was a little bit low. Uh, my money was definitely a little bit low. Um, that's why we decided to, that was part of the reason why we decided to go this route was because it's, it's pretty cost effective. Um, the permit for the boundary waters is, is really relatively inexpensive. You just buy the permit and you don't have to pay per night. You just, you just purchase the permit. So it doesn't cost very much. And then you just have your camping gear. And at the time I had bought a, a cheap, uh, inexpensive Coleman tent. And, uh, so that was pretty cheap. And we had some sleeping bags that, uh, I think we had all gotten our sleeping bag at a thrift store. So they were they were decent. We'd come across some lucky finds that were were okay sleeping bags, but they they weren't amazing. So we had gear that was cheap. And so if you think about it, we paid for the gas to get up there. We paid for the permit to get in. Um, we had to pay for the tent and the sleeping bags, all relatively inexpensive as far as an adventure goes. Now that said, my skill was low. My money, um, my money, I had that, that commitment covered. My skill, I was unsure about. My time, I knew how much time it was going to take to pack up, unpack, clean the gear. I had a pretty good sense of what was going on there, so that one was good. And safety was also another one that I was concerned about. So I was concerned about the skill and the safety. So to, to alleviate that, what I ended up doing was we didn't actually go into the boundary waters and camp remotely. Again, I had three young kids, so that that just seemed like a bad decision. So what I did do was at a couple of the entry points into the Boundary Waters, there are outfitters that actually have resorts um, right on the edge of the lake. You can stay there. And so the outfitters actually are a place where you can rent canoes, you can rent gear. Some of them have a campground, some of them have cabins. And so you can stay there without having to be so remote. I found one of these, again, fairly inexpensive. It's a, it's a tent site. It doesn't cost a whole lot. So the, the money, again, was low. And it was right on the edge of the Boundary Waters. So we could go there. We could set up our tent. We could go into the Boundary Waters and, and have that experience. But the safety was much better. My skill didn't have to be as good because we were driving right to our tent site. So I didn't have to worry about uh, the portaging. I didn't have to worry about uh, my canoe skills all that much, right? We were just going to paddle around. We were going to have fun and enjoy this. So I, I felt like I had things pretty well covered as far as my commitments. And so we, we get there and we set up our tent and we get our, our day pass to go into the Boundary Waters, and we go into the Boundary Waters, and we actually had a great time uh, on that trip. Um, this, this particular chain of lakes that we were on at the very end of it bordered Canada, and my, my children were very, very excited to visit Canada. And one of the days we... We packed up our gear and 
uh, not not all our gear, you know, a day bag, a lunch, and we started to paddle. And my commitment to my kids at that time was, we'll continue to paddle uh, till, you know, uh, probably mid-afternoon, however far we get, and then we're going to have to turn around. I have no idea how far we're going to get. It was about eight miles to the border from where we were, and I had really no idea how long that was going to take us. So my commitment was that we would try hard, but I wasn't going to to guarantee anything. And as I'm paddling the canoe and fighting the wind, I was actually starting to get concerned because I started to realize that to the left, when when we got up to the border, to the left of the lake was going to be the U.S. and to the right was going to be Canada. And as we're paddling, I'm looking to the left and it's rocks and trees. And as I look to the right, it's almost identical rocks and trees. So my concern is that once we get up to the border, they're not going to be able to tell the difference. They're not going to be able to tell. I'm going to say that's, that's America and that's Canada, and they're not going to care. That kept going through my head, especially as we were fighting the wind and paddling. Um, and we get to the last lake, and it actually makes a little bit of a left turn, uh, a little bit of an L shape. And so I've been fighting this wind. And, and my, my son, bless his heart, he, he paddled as well. But as a 10-year-old with a tiny paddle, it was more of a slapping than, than a moving the canoe forward. But he sure did try. And we were paddling into the wind, and just as we turned the corner to to the lake, we look over, and there's actually a border crossing uh, patrol cabin right there, and right next to it is a billboard-sized sign that says, Welcome to Canada. And when we saw that, my kids had a, they thought it was fantastic. I was able to prove that we had made it to Canada and I didn't have to make any stories up for them. We actually made it. They could say they did it. They proved it. So we actually went to, to Canada illegally for about five minutes and just so we could say we did it. We turned around and then we fought the wind again the other direction. I don't know how this happens, but the wind was was blowing in our faces as we went to Canada. And as we turned around, for some reason, at three o'clock in the afternoon, the wind decides to change directions. And now we are back into the wind. So for another eight miles, we're back into the wind, all the way to back to the campsite. So we get there. And now I'm, I'm actually feeling pretty good about this. Because again, I didn't have to rely heavily on my skill. We got, we got lucky right? I, at, at any point, I could have turned around and come back and didn't have to worry about it. We had a tent, we had the car, we had food, we had uh, everything we needed to be taken care of. And I didn't have to rely heavily on my skill to try and find a campsite and do set up the tent, take the tent down, all of that. I didn't have to worry about that. So it was pretty, it was relatively easy. When we got back to the campsite, the tent was already set up and we were ready to go. So we, we paddled back and we get back to the outfitters, and the tent is set up. We make dinner, and um, overnight, it starts to rain. It's not a heavy rain. It's not a, a storm. It's, it's that light rain that is going to be persistent. 
it's going to rain for most of the night. You can just feel it when it's going to be one of those nights. You can, you can, the, the clouds are starting to roll in. The temperature is starting to cool off. The air gets that, that real damp kind of heavy feel. And, and it feels pretty cozy, actually, um, when you get inside the tent and inside your sleeping bag. You, you feel kind of protected. And a lot of times on nights like that, my kids and I will get into the tent and we'll do some reading, we'll do some chatting, maybe play some cards. And, and it, it kind of recenters your family in a nice way. You get to be uh, huddled in together and, and share this time in this space. And, and if, if somebody wants to read and, and be quiet, they, they can be in a corner. And, it, and it's really, really actually uh, a, a great time. It's one of my favorite times is when it starts to, to rain like that. And you just, you just get cozy and, and huddle in together. So we do that. And it's starting to get damp, and you can start to hear the the, the light pitter-patter of the rain on top of the tent. And uh, the the sun has gone down. It's it's the middle of summer, so the sun is staying up pretty late. The sun has gone down. We're getting tired, so we climb into our sleeping bags and go to sleep. And at some point in the middle of the night, and I, I, I got to guess this was like 2, maybe 3 o'clock in the morning, if I remember right. I'm laying in my sleeping bag and I feel a drip from the top of the tent. And there's a a drip is not good. That's actually like one of the worst things because a drip means that you're going to get wet. Once a tent starts leaking, it doesn't stop leaking. It continues to leak. And, and it will keep going. And there's only one thing worse than being wet when you're in the outdoors, and that's running out of water. That is, that is literally the, the level it goes, right? Worst thing that can happen to you when you're, when you're on an outdoor adventure is to run out of water. The next thing is to be wet. Because if you're wet, you can't be warm. And warm is critical. Actually, being warm and being hydrated is more important than having food. So we're now, <laughs> I, I've got this drip. I know that this is going to continue. It is the middle of the night. And my confidence in my inexpensive tent has just gone away. It's just vanished. I am quite certain that this is just going to get worse. There's no way, there's no way around it. I have, I have a cheap tent and the cheap tent is showing its, its true colors. It's true colors. It is leaking. Now the drips on me are, they're not a lot. It's not, it's not leaking. It's not like a faucet. It's just kind of that annoying little bloop. And it's enough to make me concerned. So I'm laying by the door, and my kids are lined up to the left of me. And I, this is going through my head. Now I'm concerned that, that they've been leaked on. So I reach over, and I grab my son, and I, I lightly pat him down. And he's, he's dry. He's good reach over to my to my daughter who's next to him lightly pat her down and she's good 
she's dry. So we got a shot at this. If, it, if the tent only keeps leaking like these little drips, we got a chance at, at maybe making it through the night without some sort of tragedy. And then I reach over to my other daughter, who is right next to the wall of the tent. And she has, she has rolled up against the wall of the tent, actually up against it. And between the tent and her sleeping bag, she actually, the sleeping bag actually worked like a wick. It started to just suck the water up. And, and if I could draw you a picture, go below your chin, just underneath your chin. If you were wearing a collared shirt, and there's a, there's a triangle between your collarbones and the, the center of your chest where that collared shirt would, would kind of hang open, that was the only dry part on her, because that was the only spot where her sleeping bag wasn't touching her, was right there. And she is soaked. And I start to wake her up. Somehow she's still half asleep. And I don't understand that, but she's still half asleep. And I asked her, are, are you cold? And she's giving me that, that shivery tongue a little bit. And now I'm just, this is no good. Absolutely no good. She is going to get really cold really fast. So I thought I had things figured out. And actually, I kind of did. Um, at that point, I, I grabbed her and we went to the car. Luckily, we had the car, right? This is why I went to the outfitter and not all the way into the boundary waters. We went to the car. Um, my, my other daughter came with. My son was stubborn. He's like, I'm, I'm tired. I'm sleeping. I'm not wet. I'm staying here. So he stayed in the tent. And the three of us went to the car. I changed her clothes so that she was dry. And I sat in the driver's seat of the car with her cradled in my arms wedged between me and the steering wheel. And my other daughter slept in the back seat, and we slept in the car the rest of the night. So my plan B was, was I, I was winging it. I, I made it up as I went along, and luckily I had the car there. Luckily we had dry clothes uh, that didn't get wet in the tent, changed her, slept in the car, and uh, we made it through. We made it through, right? And, and, and the best part of the whole the whole ordeal was the next morning after sleeping in the car for about five hours with a child wedged between me and the steering wheel of the car sitting upright. I mean, if you've ever fallen asleep on a plane, you know how, how totally relaxing that is. This is uh, similar, but worse. Um, so then I, 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 because we were at the outfitters, I went to the, they had a, a little store where you could, you could get fishing bait and, and a cup of coffee and candy bars, things like that. So in the morning, I went and got a cup of coffee and the old guy who was, who was running the store at the Outfitters uh, started chatting me up about the weather. And he said, oh yeah, it rained quite a bit last night. And I, I said, yeah, I, I know it did. 
And he said, yeah, I can tell by in the, the boats, when we leave them in the lake, I can tell by how much water collects in the bottom of the boats. And it, it rained a good couple inches last night. And I, I told him I was, I was well aware of how much it rained because we got wet inside our tent. We didn't have to worry about the boats. I could tell how wet it was outside because it was just that wet inside my tent. And my, my daughters and I, we slept in the car. I slept sitting up with her wedged between me and the steering wheel. And my neck, my, my neck feels terrible. And, uh, I'd, I'd love to have a cup of coffee at this point because that's about all that's going to get me through this morning. And, and he, at that point decided to, to, I don't know if he's trying to make me feel better or, or exactly what the motivation was. But at that point he looked across the counter and slid the coffee to me and said, well, that's, that's too bad. You should have said something. The whole bunkhouse was open last night and you guys could have slept in there. I wasn't really sure how to take that at that point. I could have had a much better, <laughs> a much better plan B, uh, had I had I maybe asked some questions and and reached out to the outfitter, uh, we could have slept in an empty bunkhouse with with twelve beds and dry and warm and and totally fine. Could have had a good night's sleep, but we slept in a car. So my point is, uh, even when you have a plan B, sometimes you don't have a plan B, and when you have a plan B, you could always have a better plan B. Better plan B like a bunkhouse would have been significantly better than sleeping in the car um, and trying to stay warm. So let that be a lesson to you. Always ask questions. Always talk to the outfitter ahead of time. Find out everything that is all the resources you have around you, whether that's at the outfitter or whatever it is you plan on doing, whatever adventure you have. Uh, Be sure to ask lots of questions. And that is my story for Plan B. Again, I was I was winging it. I think I did all right. Let's uh, let's see what you think. If you have any suggestions or thoughts on Plan Bs or how this how this episode turned out with without any script, without any safety net, let me know at expeditionunlikely at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram. And as always, I'd like to thank you for joining us. I'd like to thank Luke Rohde for the writing and production and performance of all of the music that you hear here on Expedition Unlikely, and we will see you again next time. Quick side note, the only edits to this episode were for the music. Nice job.